We'll be reading from Galatians 6, verses 11 to 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised in only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is God's word. Please be seated. We're going to finish the book of Galatians this morning, and we're going to be looking at the uh, text that John just read for us. I want to tell you that next week we're going to be getting a series in the book of Joel, which is one of the Old Testament minor prophets, and I'm really looking forward to it. It's It's a small book, and we're going to be doing the introduction next week along with the first section of Joel. And I want to tell you in advance, you don't need to bring your map, which is very unusual for me. And, and I'll explain now why and give you more details later. Uh, the reason for that <clears throat> is we know very little about the book of Joel. We know Joel's name, we know his father's name, but we know nothing more about it. We have a guess on who it was written to, and we have guesses about when it was written. So the background information is going to go a lot like that next week. But anyways, that's where we're going to head. It's only three chapters long. I would encourage you to uh, uh, look at that short book this week in preparation for that. And as we come to the conclusion of Galatians, I'm going to do something a little bit different today. And that is, I, I generally do a review of a book after we're done, um, and I'm going to kind of weave the review in and amongst these last verses, verses 11 through 18. So you're going to have to kind of pay attention to figure out where it is and when it is that I'm handling the text of this morning and where I'm doing a little bit of review from the book. It's really not going to be that hard, Um, but I want you to be aware that that's what we're doing. Uh, In my understanding of the book of Galatians, and and this is common for quite a few of the New Testament books, uh, that Paul dictated this book to uh, a secretary, if you will, and the name for that secretary, I know three big words, and this is one of them. It's called an amanuensis. And uh, so Paul, uh, yeah, and isn't that, yeah. I, and I know a caesural pause, which is a poetic term. Yeah, and I won't tell you the other one because I'll botch up how to say it. But uh, anyways, <clears throat> Paul uh, was dictating this letter. And at this point in the letter, he took the quill, so to speak, from his amanuensis and began it to write what is the conclusion of the letter. 
Um, there are no mistakes between what Paul dictated and what his secretary wrote down. But in verse 11, Paul writes this strange, strange verse for us. He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, now from this verse, a lot of people conclude that Paul had an eyesight problem. And, and that his eyesight was failing and as a consequence needed to write with large letters. And, and that may or may not have been true, but I don't think that's why Paul wrote this verse. I mean, why in the world would you write such a thing in a letter? Uh, you know, see with what big letters I'm writing to you. You should feel sorry for me because my eyesight is going. But he's drawing attention to them to pay attention to his big letters. Now, when I was in ministry in my youth, um, I used to have to type up a report uh, every month. And when I typed up that report, I'm one of those guys who likes to capitalize the divine pronouns. You know, so when I'm talking about God and I use he or so on and so forth, I always capitalize it. It's not grammatically correct, but it's what I do. Well, the easiest way to do that was to just capitalize the whole report. Because in my report, I was always talking about God. Well, then after about three months of this, somebody pointed out to me that when you're writing an email to someone and you capitalize a large section of your email, you're trying to indicate to the reader that you're either yelling or your voice is raised or that you're extraordinarily serious about what you're writing. And, and I, from what I understand, I write very few emails, but from what I understand, that practice is still very much in play. And apparently it was in play in 48 AD. I think Paul was telling his readers, I'm writing with big letters in my own hand because I want you to pay attention to what I have to say in these closing verses. Which is very unusual because most of the time we come to the conclusion of one of these letters <clears throat> and we just kind of want to see how Paul concludes it. My, you know, my beloved or, or I love you or, or take care or see you soon or whatever was on Paul's mind. But, but from 11 to 18, Paul wants his readers to pay particular attention to what he has to say. And, and I believe that the reason that he's doing this is because for the last time, Paul is going to put in concrete, in very bold words, what was the motivation of the people who had come to his churches in Galatia and tried to deceive them. And he wants them to understand exactly what their motivation was and why it was that they were giving them this idea that Jesus was fine, but you needed to pair with your belief in Jesus a system of works and law in order to have a relationship with God. And Paul has been talking about this throughout our study of the book of Galatians, but now he's going to give us some very, very, very complete and clear pictures of what the motivation of these false teachers was. But up to this point, Paul has been talking in terms of comparisons and contrasts in his letter. He has talked about things like justification, 
by faith, in other words, relationship with God comes through believing that the Lord Jesus had died on the cross for his sins. Somebody's going to need to get that door for those folks that are trying to get in here. <clears throat> um, and, and he's talked about justification by faith versus the works of the law. He, is, he has been making comparison and contrast between flesh and, and the reality that those who have a relationship with God live by the Spirit. He's been talking about works versus grace. He's talked about slavery versus freedom. And he's talked about life versus death. There are other comparisons and contrasts in the, in the book of Galatians, but, it, but if you're looking for a summary verse, you could probably go to chapter 5, verse 1. If you're looking for that one verse to hang your hat on for the book of Galatians, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In other words, freedom to have a relationship with God comes solely through faith in Christ. And any system of works, even the Old Testament system of law, is nothing but slavery. And so he goes on in his book to say, don't believe anyone who says one must add anything to what Jesus has done in order to have a relationship with God. And that's exactly what these false teachers were doing. And they had a very compelling argument, to be frank with you. The, the reason that their argument was compelling was that they used the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible to make their point. Look, look at the law. It's God-given. It's a good thing. God himself talked about what one must do in order to be in relationship with him. But they had perverted it into something that it was never intended to be. Instead of a tutor, it became a slave master. And Paul argues against this. As a matter of fact, in chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. In other words, the law, you don't just get to pick and choose those few things that you think are important. It's an all or nothing kind of situation. You either do it all, which no man can do, or, or you're cursed. So what I want to do before we continue in the text itself is I want to paint a picture for us of the people who had been coming to these churches and the motivation behind their arguments against Paul and what Paul had said. They were Christian people. Now, now by that, I mean this. They were Christian in the sense that they say Jesus is very important. And they may have said that Jesus was Messiah. And they may have said that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And I think these people who were Jewish, who had come to Galatia, believed those things. Now, I'm going to say something very radical. These Christians were not saved. 
They were Christian people in the sense that they professed that Jesus was important and maybe he died on the cross, but they were also a people who said, while Jesus is important, there is a system of works which is also important, and if you don't do these things along with believing in Jesus, you don't have a relationship with God, and that made them non-saved. And Paul's very clear about that in his letter. And, and quite frankly, if we think about it, and I'm not going to pick out names or groups or institutions or systems of belief, but, but we can all think of people who will tell us that Jesus is important, Jesus died on the cross, but, and there's this great big but. And, and that's the problem, you see. Jesus plus anything is nothing. So, so these Jews who had come to Galatia to give this message to these people had come from a very strong and ancient system. The system of Judaism, which had cultural elements and also had religious elements to it and all the rest of it. And these people who came to Galatia had talked very highly about Jesus maybe being the Messiah and maybe having died on the cross. But being Jews, the second they professed the importance of Jesus, they came under intense scrutiny from their own culture. You dare profess that this Jesus may be the Messiah? the one from God? You dare profess that he may have been a sacrifice for sin, which takes care in part for the problem that man has with God? The scrutiny would have been almost instantaneous from a Jewish culture, not only culture but religiously, and so these people would have come under threats and their families may have denounced them and these people may have been threatened by physical violence and they certainly would have been shunned. And so they would have been under a tremendous amount of pressure. And man doesn't do well with pressure. And so what man tries to do in a situation like that is alleviate the pressure. Figure out ways how to get the pressure gone. So if you were in that situation and you had all this cultural and religious pressure, but you were still trying to maintain some level of fidelity to what you think is important, what would you do? You would start to say, I know Jesus is important, but maybe if I adopt some of the old ways along with the new ways that I have come to think are important, That'll take a little bit of the pressure off. And, and if I start to talk about how important my culture and religious background is and try to marry those two things together, that's going to take off some of the back pressure from where I come from. Now, if you really want to undo the pressure, here's what you could do. You could go on a road trip and you could start convincing other people who have 
started to profess that Jesus was important, that they need to adopt my culture in order to have a relationship with God. And my people will believe that I'm a tremendous fellow because I am making converts into this whole new thing, but they're adopting my culture and my religion. Does that make sense? And what grandma and grandpa and priest and, and father and brother and uncle who are maintaining fidelity strictly to their old culture is not going to say, you know, that, I can see that. That could work. Now that sounds like a fanciful tale. And it sounds like, Dave, how in the world did you come up with this stuff? Well, look with me at verses 12 and 13, because I think this is the heart of the passage. And keep in mind that Paul is writing these with big letters. He wants to get their attention. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. There's the two motivations. They want you to abandon 100% fidelity to the Lord Jesus and his cross for works because it'll take pressure off of them and they will cease to be persecuted and they'll be able to boast that they've brought you into their way of thinking. That's it. That's it. Clear as bell. So I don't really think I stretched that picture of who these people are that came to the Galatian churches. They were enduring tremendous persecution and pressure from their own culture, their own background, and one of the ways they could alleviate that pressure was by going on a road trip and making converts to Judaism of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in that process, they were giving up the Lord Jesus and his cross. Now, what's very interesting here is that the issue was the cross of Christ. In other words, it was the very message of the cross of Christ that was causing these Jews who had a Christian belief and, and, and potentially these Galatians, the issue of persecution. Well, what is it about the cross of Christ that is so offensive? Now, in the past, and even in our study in Galatians, I have talked about why the cross of Jesus is so offensive. <clears throat> but I want to just review two things that I think are absolutely crucial for us to remember about why the cross of Christ can potentially bring persecution. It brings it in our country solely by peer pressure, what people might think of us and, and how they may behave toward us. But, but really, our persecution level is pretty low. Whereas in the 48 AD, the persecution level was high and on the rise for the very cross of Christ. But here are two reasons. First of all, and in this context in particular, the cross of Christ declares... And this is what man has a real hard time believing, that man is not good enough 
to do anything to earn a relationship with God. It, it, it declares that there's no amount of good that you or I can do in order to earn the favor of God. That, that our good cannot outweigh our bad. And, and that is an offensive message because we love and have always loved being self-made people. And quite frankly, when I look at myself in the mirror, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. And so God should accept me. And if I do enough good and I try to do enough good, and it doesn't matter what that list looks like, God should be obligated to accept me. But the cross of Christ says that is not the case. The cross of Christ is actually a symbol of the judgment of God on sin. God says sin has to be punished with death. That's the ultimate reality. And people don't like that. God, you've got a right to judge, but I mean, seriously, a slap on the wrist is enough. Death is taking it too far. And so that is one of the reasons that the cross of Christ has always been offensive. The second reason is, and this would have particularly been uh, the, the case for Jewish folks, is that the cross of Christ says, there has never been a sacrifice that man can offer that will restore relationship with God. God himself has to provide that sacrifice. And it has to be perfect. And that sacrifice was provided in the very Son of God. And man says, that is highly offensive because that makes the cross of Christ exclusive. You see? And man wants to say, no, there's many different ways that I can have a relationship with God. And the Bible says, no. God provided that way, and it's through the cross of Christ, and God provided a sacrifice, and there is only one way to God, and that's through that. And man says, I can't stand that. And it's true in 2024, and it was true in 48 AD. And so the compromise comes, right? That's exactly what these Jews did who came to Galatia, in order to take the pressure off themselves, they started to say, well, Jesus is very important, but we'll add this to it as well. And that includes a whole bunch of people who are now currently persecuting me. Now the pressure's off, but I've absolutely done away with the cross of Christ. All right. So in the face of that, Paul continues, verses 14 to 16. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation is what matters. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. 
that last phrase, the Israel of God, is a real slap in the face, you see. Because these false teachers had come to Galatia and said, let me tell you how to have a right relationship with God. Let me tell you how to become part of the people of God. Let me tell you how to become an actual child of Abraham. That's why believing in Jesus plus obeying the law. Paul says, no, 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 no. The true Israel, the new creation, the Israel of God is actually those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. It has nothing to do with anything else that you believe or try to do. And then verse 17, keep in mind, these are in big letters. Now, now from now on, Paul writes, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. This is, this is so great. You see, Paul had been stoned. Paul had been beaten. Paul had suffered all types of persecution for the cross of Christ. Ultimately, he is beheaded and martyred for that message alone. And on his body were the scars of that persecution. The very thing these Judaizers were trying to avoid by their compromise are the very thing Paul says, I boast in. Leave me alone. If I'm going to boast in anything, it's going to be the cross of Christ and I wear the marks of that reality on my body. The very thing these people are declaring will get you out of hot water are the very things I want you to believe. Are the very things that I want you to hold fast to. And then he concludes in big letters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, brothers. Amen. The whole letter has been about the contrast between flesh and spirit. The new creation. The reality that God has broken into the human situation and created a sacrifice that was acceptable and pleasing to him, which was 100% exclusive. And the cross makes all of man's efforts nothing but works of the flesh which can never satisfy God. So grace and peace be with your spirit. Amen. And that's how Paul concludes his letter. Now I'm going to ask a few questions and I honestly don't know if any of them apply to anybody in this room because I have no reason to believe that they might. <clears throat> but I want to give us a few things to think about before we close. <clears throat> There's a number of different ways to compromise. There are a number of different ways to compromise. One is by believing that I need to add something to the cross of Christ. 
you know, is to believe that it is Jesus plus something. And Paul makes it very clear that Jesus plus anything is nothing. I don't really believe that's much of a temptation for many in this room. But there is a temptation to feel the pressure and, and to feel the need to compromise. And compromise for us comes in many different forms. It can come in what we declare about the Lord Jesus. It can come in declaring nothing about Jesus. Not being willing to declare that he exclusively alone is the way to have relationship with God through Christ. It may come in, in being unwilling to say that the wages or the payment for sin is death. And it will either be my death eternally or it will be my faith in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is my opinion. This is just my opinion. When, when, when the wheat gets separated from the chaff, I'm not sure that it's going to come at the edge of a sword. You see, I think it's coming now. Because it, it's, it's, it's separating us when the pressure is light rather than when the pressure is heavy. I think, I think when the sword comes, if it comes that separation will already have been made, that we will have either compromised in our belief or what we proclaim or, or we'll be standing firm, you know. We'll be standing firm and we'll, we'll be like Paul. I, I bear the bodies and the marks of Christ and, and we're totally willing and prepared to do that. But now's the time it matters, see, when the pressure is comparatively light and the biggest thing that we have to worry about is peer pressure and somebody who doesn't want to hear our message, you know. <clears throat> that, that's what is going to determine whether we genuinely have faith in Christ alone, you know. It's, it's an interesting thing because we know the reality is that we still have bodies of flesh that wage war against the spirit and the spirit is waging war against the flesh and, and that battle is going to continue. But Paul has declared, grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So we should be looking to see the fruit of the spirit that's outlined for us in chapter 5 developed and nurtured so that we can boldly declare it is Christ alone and nothing else that matters. And relationship with God is solely dependent on the cross of Christ, which is exclusive. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, um, Paul wrote the conclusion of this letter in, in bold letters so that we would know the importance 
of standing firm for the cross of Christ and believing alone that his sacrifice was sufficient for us. Help us not to compromise either in belief or in what we're willing to live out and to proclaim and to be truthful about because eternity is at stake. And help us to live lives boldly and gloriously for the Lord Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.